0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. The I Wonder Why podcast is on the air. I'm Glenn McCarty, and we are going to be exploring creativity in all of its various forms, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, everything in between, talking with folks who have spent some time exploring creativity themselves, whether they be musicians, storytellers, uh, movie makers, homemakers, people who do creative things on a regular basis. We're going to talk to them and we're going to find out a little bit more about the challenges and the rewards of being a creative person in this crazy world. Uh, anyone can create. Creativity is as natural as breathing. Uh, what is a little bit more unnatural about the process is the discipline, uh, the stamina, that's required to take those creative dalliances and pursue them to their natural ends. Is this story concept that I have kicking around in my brain? Is that worth a full novel manuscript? Is it a short story? What about this melodic hook I have? Will it hold up as a song? What about this design or this sketch that I did? Well, there's only one way to find out. Included in the pursuit of a creative endeavor are so many elements, uh, among them routine or ritual, confidence, A community of like-minded individuals, at least a regular well from which to draw inspiration. The rewards are primarily intrinsic, at least in my experience the memorable ones are anyway. We create not for what it will bring us, but for how it molds us. Shaping the thing helps to shape us. Well, it's my hope that in some small way the I Wonder Why podcast will help to feed that well from which you draw uh, to help you become more dedicated to your creative calling. Our first episode today, we have uh, a wonderful guest on the show. His name is Chris Slayton. Um, he's also known as singer-songwriter Son of Laughter. Um, and so I can't wait to share the interview with you. Um, you can also check out the uh, website, uh, iwonderwhy.wordpress.com. That's E-Y-E, wonder, why, dot, wordpress.com. I'll try to put some other resources related to guests up there, as well as just some things that I've been finding and reading and looking at over the past week or so, um, that have helped me in my own creative process. Uh, So I hope you enjoy the show. Before we get to my interview with Chris, uh, I wanted to share with you the opening track from his fine EP, The Mantis and the Moon. Um, It's called Cricket in a Jar. A Mantis and the Moon is available at anywhere fine musical products are sold, most notably rabbitroom.com at their store. I'm sure you can find it in all of the other places as well. Chris is a contributor to The Rabbit Room, which is an online community of people who are interested in arts and creativity and uh, faith. So here it is, the lead track from uh, The Mantis in the Moon called Cricket in a Jar.
1: Catch the moment The moment has passed, this is a law of loveliness, we love what never lasts, try and hold it, it slips right through, before you know the garden's grown, there's nothing left to do, but I need more than a memory, to take me back in time, to the day of your delivery, lip quivering and crying, to catch and hold. The moment, the moment has passed This is a law of loveliness We love one never last. Why can't we own it Like a cricket in a jar And let it sing with tiny wings Of laughter and anoint As the ice is fading from The glassy tangled trees I see your snowy footprints And I wish that they could be Fixed and frozen.
0: My first inaugural ever, of all time, (laughs) first inaugural, I love that redundancy, guest here on the I Wonder Why podcast is uh, Chris Slayton, and taking this from his Rabbit Room bio, uh, Chris Slayton writes and records music under the name Son of Laughter. By day, he teaches American literature and creative writing in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he lives with his wife and two children, and I should also mention he had an EP called The Mantis and the Moon, which was released about a year ago, um, and has been touring and doing various things in support of that incredibly fine EP, um, and, uh, hopefully we'll get to hear about maybe some future plans, so welcome, Chris.
2: All right, thanks for having me, Glenn.
0: So I guess my first question—it's uh, tradition. It's a tradition that I just started um, on the podcast—is uh, to ask the first question: uh, What are you? What are you working on lately? Oh wow! Um,
2: well, we have right after I finished the Mantis in the Moon, um, which is just a five-song EP, I started uh, writing a whole slew of new songs, and we have—I've um, written just enough. To have a hopefully record a full length record, um, which could be a long process of kind of raising money for that. I'm in the middle of that right now. Uh, but one thing that we are doing that Ben and I just finished working on, um, actually we have a little bit more work on it. But uh, is a single that we're hoping to release Christmas, um, and so I've decided how how we're going to do that. Um, but hopefully uh, this song that I wrote last christmas season this past christmas season we'll be able to release it
0: uh in december mm-hmm. so and yeah very cool um i guess maybe then that that might be a good transition to like talking about the process of writing a song i don't know if that's getting too like technical right off the bat but um sure. and i don't know if there is a specific process um i myself am not a songwriter i'm But I know there is a process to creativity, and usually you kind of get locked into kind of a a particular method of working that you find works for you. And so I'm just kind of curious, what is uh, what is that process like?
2: For me, uh, there is no method. I think it changes depending on the songs. However, I think there are some principles uh, that I find myself going back to, uh, and I'll probably think of more of them as we talk. Uh, But one of the first ones uh, that comes to mind is commitment. Um, I, like I said, we finished The Mandis in the Moon, put it out, uh, and then I started writing a whole slew of new songs. And that, that happened because my wife challenged me to uh, write a song a week um, and at least finish, uh, maybe even from start to finish, or take an old song that I uh, had been putting off completing for a long time and around and finally finish it and uh... when i started doing that just the commitment of i'm going to get this done in a week uh, pushed me to write something I that I, we did it for six weeks and many of the songs that came out of that were better than the songs that i'd spent years on with the mantis and the um, example, in the moon for example the mantis in the moon the song the fiddler uh... it took me uh... it was the only song i worked on for a whole year <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh... Later, uh, you know, I I get this challenge from my wife to write a song a week, and this song that I'd had called The Gardener that had really stuck with me since I released my first record back in 2004, um, it had just been kind of lingering. Only the first few lines of it were complete, and I had that week where I had to finish it. Um, It came out, and it, it turned out much better than I was expecting uh, especially for such a short time period, I think I, I was probably afraid. That <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that commitment um, forces you to just kind of push back past being afraid of what's going to happen with this thing that this little thing that's so precious to you. And actually, just do the work on it. And even within that time frame, not just committing to a week, but I found with some of the songs that I started. Um, at the beginning of the week, there weren't ones that I had been lingering around that I needed to complete, but I start to finish happened in one week. I I realized just for the sake of time that on the first day when I was in school, because uh, I teach English, um, yay! <laughs> yeah, English teachers. I uh, I started. Um, I, I realized okay, if I commit to a line right now as I'm driving into school on the first day. Uh, then I'm going to end up losing a whole day's worth of riding. Uh, And uh, once I had that line, uh, and I would commit to it, (laughs) with it by day two or three, even if I built a little bit more onto it, I would really start doubting myself. It was like all these little demons would come out and just start (laughs) coming up with all these excuses not to do that one line. Uh, And sticking to it, uh, I found that really during that process that I could almost make anything work um, as long as I kept the original idea and kept coming kind of like dipping my pen back in the ink of that original idea over and over again and committed to it.
0: So what was the overall takeaway from that experience? Was it just that like deadlines are our friend? (laughs) <laughs> um, or yeah. was it uh, something a little bit more related to um, pushing sure. through obstacles? i kind of curious about that. Yeah,
2: yeah the deadline, I'd say the practical takeaway uh, was to create deadlines. But I, I think also a very practical takeaway uh, for that for me was commit. Um, one of the reasons why The Fiddler took a year to write uh, is that as I got in the song. I started researching all the different aspects of the story that it was based upon, and uh, I kept shifting really what and second guessing what the main ideas would be. And so when I would shift, I would take a whole new set of notes, and then I would shift and focus, take another angle onto that story. Um, but not to speak vaguely about it, but that that is a that's the story of the fiddler is that. Washington Post article that's been passed around so much of uh, Joshua Bell being put in the subway, one of the world's violinists, They put him in plain clothes. They want to see how many people will pay attention to uh, the extraordinary thing that's happening in the room. And uh, you know, it's really it's testing a lot of things: how we view art, um, how we uh, how we appreciate beauty. How, what is it that drives us to be able to see what we see um, and ignore what we ignore? Um, the, the article's called Pearls Before Breakfast. Um, so there's, you can see it's a very, it's, it's a beautiful piece. But I say all that, to, just to give you the context, I started, um, at one point I started focusing on the architecture of the, uh, the square where he was playing, and then another point I was focusing on the make of Stradivarius violins on a story behind them because he was playing his Stradivarius. Uh, then I started focusing on the pieces that he was playing. And uh, with every shift, I would, you know, I would start to commit to something, and if I didn't feel like I was getting what I wanted to out of it, I would shift to another angle. But what I found out with, uh, with that project of doing a week at a time was if I just commit to the line, I can
0: make it, make it work. So having described that somewhat circuitous uh, approach or process, I guess, um, I don't know. How then do you sift through approaches to a topic Mm. or or a subject matter and kind of decide, okay, this is the one, you know, this is the one that I really want to land on. This is the place I want to end up. How do you evaluate your ideas, I guess, and, you know, settle on one? Right,
2: yeah. I think I, I find myself asking a lot of questions of the idea of what is it that when I commit to the idea, then I ask myself, what is it about this that compels me? Um, what is it about this that moves me? Uh, ultimately, even though I don't write, um, you know, songs that are like me just spewing my uh, emotions from a journal entry. Uh, it's not like that at all, but uh, I still find that I have to have some kind of personal connection with it, so uh, in order for me to write it, about it in a way um, that to me is going to be exciting.
0: So does that mean then that a lot of times typically you'll start with a subject, clear subject matter in mind and kind of get down some thoughts uh, lyrically in words about that um, and then kind of find uh, a musical angle that kind of works for that? Um, is that sort of the process that you typically favor because you choose your subject matter like that?
2: So, you're essentially what you're kind of asking is the which comes first, the music, for the lyrics, or what's that? What? Well, I was
0: trying to be a little bit more sophisticated about it, but uh, yeah, that's what I was kind of getting
2: at, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it just depends. You know, sometimes where I have these um, guitar lines, so for example, with The Gardener. Um, that was a uh, guitar melody that I had had since the last recording back in, I think I started writing this guitar part in 2005. Um, And every time I would play it, I got this very specific image of a gardener and I felt that it was going to tell a story, Um, but I had no idea what, what that was going to be. And I think that's one reason it took me so long to kind of, pin it down. Um, I had to honor a few more experiences and images later before it completed the thought. But So that one started with uh, the sound. Uh, and again, not to talk too much about the fiddler, but that I think of that as well because that was another one where I started playing the guitar part um, and I immediately saw this like uh, busy city throbbing with life um, but then uh, there's also this um, kind of a coldness to it, and a, a busyness to it. Um, I started imagining a character who was uh, trying to like climb the corporate ladder, and uh, during the part where the baseline kind of walks up, I was all I over and over kept imagining him riding up to the top floor of this tower. <laughs> um, and I just started getting a sense. The, the main thing that I, I got a sense of was that you know as he was riding in the tower. He's chasing down this uh this dream, but at the same time he's looking out over the city and seeing um this utterly satisfying beauty of the clouds and the sky uh and the the city skyline. Um and those two things I guess I, I saw this is this saw I knew that it needed to be about the relationship uh between beauty and busyness. <laughs> Uh, then later I came across the, uh, the Joshua Bell story and uh, I knew that that was what I needed to use so that's an example of the melody coming first but then with Cricket in a Jar um, those lines just came as I was singing in the car driving to school and I've had a lot of songs come like that where um, I do a lot of writing in traffic I don't actually write anything down I just um, sing out loud. I can be kind of uninhibited in my car, and so I just test out words and lines. And uh, so I was I was testing out some lines that were inspired by the birth of my son. He was a few months old, and uh, and those lines came out that like, catch the moment. The moment is past, uh, and then. There were a few other ones that I ended up not getting, but that was completely lyric driven. Then I came back and added the guitar uh, and then came up with the guitar lick that is really the hook of the song. It's not a, there's not as much of a lyrical hook as much as it was a melodic hook on that song. Um, and that also happened with another song recently called Flesh and Bone, uh, where I was processing through some. Ideas from Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison that we were reading the first chapter of that with my class, having some interesting conversations about categories, and I started singing these lines. And uh, eventually, after I'd written most of the lines, I went back and and the guitar part surprised me. Um, so there are two different ways right there. Both of them, I've found, can be pretty successful so long as I stick to the original idea and kind of hunt it down. <laughs>
0: One thing that I think is so important on the process of creation, and I didn't, I don't think, realize it at the beginning, um, was finding a system that works for kind of capturing your ideas. Um, for me, a lot of times it's as simple as driving in the car and having uh, voice memos sitting next to me. You know, my iPod. I'll just pick it up, uh, drive down the road, and dictate little 20, 30 second scraps of a story idea or a character angle right into that, knowing it's stored, <laughs> and then going back later when I have a place um to kind of work at it a little bit more dig that out and put it into some more formal uh form uh you know and i think you've got to have that method of capturing your ideas and so i wonder kind of how do you do that what what is your method of capturing your ideas and making sure that they're in a place that's safe
2: Mm -hmm. uh you know something that i've found
0: uh i was just thinking about this as you were
2: as you're bringing up your your methods the uh one thing that I have found is that I, I often can't work if I'm directly looking at uh, the piece, if I'm directly uh, – how do I say it? If I sit down at a desk and try to write, it doesn't work for me. I usually have to be doing something else, uh, just like it, it has to be able- – like a peripheral program opened up in my brain of writing a song <laughs> while I'm doing something else. And I'm not sure why that is, but I can't really look directly at it. So when I was recording stuff uh, in terms of getting ideas down when I was in school and in college, I would um, find that most of my ideas came while I was in class and I would just be writing it in the margins of notes. And I would be um I'm sure I wasn't paying attention as much as I thought that I was in class, (laughs) but it was actually really good for me to, I found that listening to new ideas and um, being tuned in in like a class scenario, uh, or it will happen in church sometimes too, um, it stirs up, it kind of stirs the pot of my own ideas and these new ones kind of spill out over the edges, and then I write them on the margins of papers. And then (laughs) I find myself tearing those out and then eventually writing them down in like a moleskin somewhere. Um, So that's one way that I've, you know, lots of just little bits and pieces of things, napkins and stuff like that uh, at random times when I'm not intentionally working. Um, But one thing that I've found uh, is that I do some of my best writing, like I said, while I'm driving and I heard once. I feel like it was Rich Mullins. I could be completely wrong about this. Uh, the idea of um, if uh, if I an idea. If you're not going to remember it, then you're then it's not worth remembering. Essentially. <laughs> uh, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It is very risky, and I don't think it applies to all types of writing, but especially with lyrical writing, uh, where uh, each word, every little turn of phrase is, is crucial. Um, I've found that I'm, I usually don't write anything down, uh, and so for me, like when I if I'll go be if I'll go test things out at like an open mic night, usually people come up with notebooks and things like that because to test out things they're working on. But if the song for me is is complete, then at that point I already have it memorized because um, I'm uh, I'm recording it and re- I've reworked the lines so many times in my own mind that it's cemented there.
0: <laughs> uh, so you're saying then that really you don't write anything down in notebooks, um, relying instead on your memory to, uh, to capture these things. I would say that's rare. I I.
2: I intentionally will make myself do that sometimes when I know that I'm going to have to take a break from it for a while and put it down. Um, and like, or if I know that it's time for me to get started on another song, uh, then I'll, you know, I, I usually write it down in like a Google doc, just the lyrics. Um, uh, once I have finished it. And then sometimes I'll just record a quick garage band demo, but, um, yeah, that, I have to make myself do that. <laughs> it's not that natural
0: to me. Um, Let, let's talk about uh, mentors or inspirational figures uh, times in your life when you kind of said, you know what, I, I want to do that. Uh, I want to create. I want to write. Oh, things. wow.
2: <laughs> there are uh, – it was a combination of things. Sometimes I would – it was seeing seeing other people in concert usually. I'm um, seeing uh, Dave Wilcox and Pierce Pettis and um, eventually Andrew Peterson. I didn't get into him until I was in college, um, but especially those two guys and uh, all of the other music that I listened to on CD. But I specifically remember going to some of those concerts. I have an older brother who's five years older than me, so... He was like in high school and college when I was in middle school and early high school, so I would get to go to some of these concerts with him, and uh, that I think were probably a little out of my maturity range from what my peers were doing at the time. And it would, yeah, it, it was really exciting for me. Um, I, I would say that experience of, of seeing some of those really just masterful storytellers Um, and the thing that I love about both of those writers uh, is that they had the ability not only lyrically but with their guitar playing to completely uh, capture a room single-handedly no band um, and change the entire atmosphere uh, of the place and draw us into something for an hour and a half um, that kind of like lifted you out of the doldrums.
0: <laughs> so in the process of creating, uh, what well do you draw from? Um, how do you uh, continue to remain inspired and encouraged to be able to create? I know you've got to have books or other artists or uh, movies or whatever that just kind of uh, keep that uh, inspirational fire burning, I guess you could say. So um, I'm just kind of curious what, what well you draw from. That's a great question. Something that I've
2: noticed is that, Uh,
0: Sometimes in the
2: summers, when I have
0: all this time, uh,
2: I would think that that would be when I would have the richest, uh, my richest seasons of writing. Um, But it was so refreshing when when Lindsay challenged me to do that song a week thing because I kind of discovered that so much more uh, material, and inspiration was coming from the very intense personal relationships uh, and the huge variety of them (laughs) that you get in an academic setting Um, and then also being uh, kind of saturated in really good literature. I mean, so uh, as you know, like I have to, and we teach essentially the same class, I have to read uh, Huck Finn and the Great Gatsby once a year, and every time that every time I get into those, I find myself just going deeper and deeper and deeper. And my appreciation grows uh, and I and it always spurs new ideas, even if I'm coming back to um, the same piece. So the Great Gatsby, uh, my first year teaching high school um, was one thing. And then this past year, because uh, I taught middle school for four years. Before This since past year, uh, it was completely different.
0: <laughs> you, like a lot of people, I think today wear many different hats. Um, your teacher, husband, uh, father, member of a church community, uh, friend, brother, all of those things. And I think that's um, definitely a, something worth talking about sure. is uh, how do you balance uh, the wearing of many hats in your life?
2: Um Teaching, as you know, it can be pretty emotionally draining and super time-consuming. Uh, uh, often the rhythm of my day involves getting up extremely early, coming home around 5.30 or so, feeding the kids, putting them to bed, and then grading till I fall asleep on my work. <laughs> and then, you know, having to take... Uh, often having to take weekends to knock out huge chunks of papers and things like that, so uh that is definitely a challenge. but something that I've found is you know, I'm afraid this might not be helpful to someone who is writing fiction, <laughs> someone in your shoes uh, but as a songwriter, um I've found that I can write songs anywhere anytime. Uh, And as long as I decide that I'm going to do it, it will happen. Um, But I just have to decide that I'm going to do it. Um, So really the problem for me in terms of, you know, which hats to wear uh, involves um, the promotion and trying to, you know, Really, there's kind of those two aspects to being a creator. You want to make something and you want to give it. And the giving is often very (laughs) time-consuming. Trying to contact people to set up, like that Northeast tour that I did when you so graciously hosted a show. Um, uh, That takes so much time. And I I think the, the other thing, too, to add to the mix is being a father. So it is – it's a lot – you just have to make boundaries, I think, uh, and, uh, and decide – make a decision that you're going to do it and that you're going to do it in a healthy way. And I think that looks differently for everyone. And, and I think here's the other thing, too, that I've discovered. So often as when you are an artist or a creator – there's this pressure that you get inwardly but also when people ask you where are you going with this there's this pressure to make it um uh, and whatever that means make it to what with financial security being you know a celebrity or whatever it is <laughs> uh what, what is it we're making it to exactly um, but there's this pressure to make it um and uh I've finally been able to let that go and realize, you know, i I can make, um. I can make what I'm going to make, and I can give as much as I can give wherever I can, and I'm going to do that in a healthy way, and just try to be faithful to it. Uh, not, I don't even really think it's my job or in my hands to make it successful, but just to be faithful to what's in front of me in a healthy way. And as long as I'm doing that, then I can have peace of mind um, that it's going to connect with the right people. And I've found that just doing that this year, um, you know, the Madison moon came out this uh, exactly a year ago, last July. And uh, just doing that, we've played over, over 50 shows um, it's, it's been able to um, – the audience it's connect, connecting with is growing, and uh, I still find it very satisfying, but I'm not beating myself up over um, whether or not I'm doing enough to make it.
0: All right, so last question, um, and I think it's a great place to end on, is just why do you create um, what keeps you coming back to this process, which is complicated and time-consuming and not always extrinsically rewarding? I think one thing that thrills me about creating
2: uh, is that it is always a process of discovery. Um, and I, I had a teacher in college who said uh, essentially his mother, mantra was thinking is writing writing is thinking and often you don't even really know what you're thinking until you try to write (laughs) Uh, and that's when you start realizing just how tangled up your ideas are or how perhaps even out of reach they are Uh, so the process of of creating something of writing uh, is always a process of discovery not only of um being kind of forced to look at my subject, you know, whatever it is that's compelling me, but also um, uh, kind of a, a discovering my own ideas and, and seeing how I really feel about them. Um, it's kind of almost like solidifying your interpretation of the world, and I, I don't think it I don't think we realize just how muddy our interpretations are uh, until we have to pin them down (laughs) and have to say them well. Um, I would say too, uh, something that's often exciting for me just in terms of melodically, I love following a trail of mistakes. Um, My process with, in terms of music uh, I completely follow my ear um, and uh, the way that I do it is I usually strike out in some direction that I'm not completely equipped to take on and then I just kind of fumble my way across and have these um, oh what is it that Bob Ross would say it was like happy accidents like that you know uh, have these little you know I, I often find myself discovering new and um, atmospheres uh, in music completely on accident. <laughs> um, and that's really, really exciting for me. Sit down expecting one thing and then you end up somewhere completely different. Um, and what, what's interesting too is you know, pair that with commitment where the, the goal is to stick to what you were setting out to do. Um, I think what what ends up happening is You do, you can stick to the same idea, but then you find out that that idea uh, is something very different than what you were expecting it to be.
0: Chris Slayton, thank you so much for joining us today and for being my first victim guest, victim guest, guest victim on the show. I'm going to end this episode with a clip from a song that Chris talked about today on the podcast, which was The Fiddler. And I hope you enjoy, and I hope you'll come on back next time for some more arousing, rip-roaring conversation about creativity and all things related to inspiration and creating. So thanks a lot, and see you next time.
1: We enter in through automatic doors Into the everyday race across the terminal floor Past the shoe shine, past the magazine stand The winners win a ride and it all begins again But over in the corner as we come and go The fiddler's tuning up and tightening his bow Cause every day he descends to this maze underground Raises his violin and summons its sound The aureas echo down the long tunneled halls He creates a cathedral in the subway walls And a distant flight arrives through windows Wrought in melodies that we had long forgotten So who has the money of the time? Drop a dollar in this old instrument's case